Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Goriana Rydell and Jason Griffin Rydell, founders of the jewelry company Goriana. Goriana started as a wholesale brand, but the founders have since opened 16 stores and grown direct-to-consumer sales to 80% of the business. I wanted to dig into their unique growth strategy, which has excluded fundraising and prioritized profitability. That's coming up. Well, welcome in the house. We've got we've got a duo. We've got Goriana. We've got Jason. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Thanks you. So Happy to be here. Of course. So behind the jewelry brand that I said is booming, you guys kind of were modest about the whole darn thing. But <laughs> tell me a little bit about Goriana. Launched 15 years ago. I'll start you off. Okay, yeah, when you've been doing it 15 years, it doesn't feel like it's been booming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Quintessential apartment floor, right? We thought we'd do it for about a year till we uh, launched some really other exciting businesses, and this was not one of them. And uh, sure enough, here we are 15 years later still doing this and still growing. So it's been an awesome ride. Slow Um, and steady. Slow and steady. A lot of singles. A lot of singles. No Um, home runs here. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. I was studying up on you. And the fact of the matter is, you guys just, you knew you wanted to start a business and you were tossing around different ideas. And one was, I forget, I, I don't know, like, was like sports skincare. management yeah. or skincare. Yeah, yeah. athletic man. We had a sports agency, uh, a film, and a men's skincare line, and a bunch of others. I forgot. Yeah. So, how did you decide on jewelry? So basically after college, I worked at Neiman's. Um, I tried to get like a more official job. Not that there's anything wrong with retail, but in my parents' eyes, they were like, you gotta have a marketing degree. So um, I went and worked at Neiman's and then went and worked for a jewelry designer that um, just happened to be looking for an assistant. I just really kind of fell in love with jewelry. I really didn't know very much about it. And then... Growing up in Serbia, my grandmothers made everything. Yeah. So I always had that in, like, in me. Like, I would I knit my Barbie doll sweaters and um, was always making things. So jewelry kind of was really easy because it was so fun to play with that I could make it myself. Yep. And so I worked for this designer. I was really high on jewelry. I was 22. We were broke. We couldn't afford anything. But I loved the beauty of it, and I just wanted to start creating pieces um, that I could afford. And so I just started making them and started selling them to friends and family. And I think that's why we didn't think it was going to be a business, because it was something fun and um, just something that came so naturally. And I think when you're that young and you're starting out, I think having a business seemed like such a more formal thing that you had to go through and write a business plan and do all that stuff. And it was just something we were kind of doing. Yep. And so that's why I don't think we really, at that moment, thought we could make it an actual business. Yeah. So there is that founder story. You didn't like close your eyes and point to it. And <laughs> no. <laughs> Jewelry it is. Yeah. Totally. You did, just had that kind of happen. And we thought, okay, we'll just keep doing this. And we were modeling and acting at the same time and doing like what we can to pay the bills. And, um, we just kind of kept going and we said, okay, we'll keep going as long as it's working. Yes. And 15 years later, <laughs> it's working. <laughs> oh my gosh. But the original <laughs> approach, you're going to sell through wholesale partners. That's going to, I guess, put you on the map or that's going to pay the bills. Or what was the original approach? Uh, the original approach was 
to literally be able to eat and pay our rent. So it was, let's find local boutiques that we can work with. That we can drive to. Yep. And, uh, and you were I, living in California at yeah, the time? We were li- yeah, we were living in um, Southern California, where we still live right now. And um, we literally, it was just that. I mean, Jason has a pretty good story about his first phone call to one of the, like, a boutique that was local. Yeah, and, Tell to, and us the well, story. Your, well, and to your point, I think it was just you know, in Southern California, there's so many, um, so many people and so many businesses. And during that time in the early 2000s, it, the the economy was booming, so everybody was opening um, boutiques. And I remember calling one. Uh, it was in Newport Beach. It's still in business today. Uh, it's called Michael Nuskern. And uh, he, the owner, Joaquin, he answered the phone. Really nice guy. And uh, he was willing to chat with me. And I said, hey, you know, you got to check out my wife's jewelry. And he's like, well, well are you going to be at market? And I said, no. And he goes, do you have a line sheet? And I said, no. And he goes, do you have a showroom? And I said, no. And I hung up the phone. I looked up around. And I said, okay, I don't know what market is. I don't know what a line sheet is. <laughs> and I certainly don't know what a showroom is. But we're going to go ahead and figure that one out. Right? So uh, and we had a really cute little uh, four-pound Yorkshire Terrier. And so we'd kind of stroll in stores. And uh, in California, again, you can drive to so many of these towns. And um, we'd walk in and they'd say, oh, my gosh, your dog's so cute. And then say, hey, by the way, you, you, are you interested in jewelry? And then we'd go get it out of the car. And, and that's what we did. We drove around a car with no – we had no car insurance. We had no medical insurance. <laughs> Half the time we had no gas. Um, you had electricity turned off a couple of times. But just kind of hand to mouth. And uh, But we had fun. And then typically we uh, – we uh, just enjoyed being at clothing stores and checking out new designs and, yeah. and just had a good time. Really, I that mean, was ultimately. Dog as customer acquisition strategy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great Actually, strategy. when we used to go to trade shows, they'd say, well, do you want like shelving and booths? And I was like, well, why don't you just rent dogs and like babies? Because those pretty much draw everyone into the, uh, to the booth. I mean, I feel like um, uh, some of your early partners, LA has such iconic retailers, boutiques. I don't know if you call them specialty stores, but like early on you had Planet Blue, Lisa Klein. Like how establishing one of those as a partner, was that kind of it, the clincher? People know you because of that partnership. It's such a good point. Those were key. So when we, I was lived in, I lived in Malibu uh, when I was in law school and Planet Blue was just a single freestanding store. And uh, Jen, she was iconic in Planet Blue. Like we became friends. And so actually one of the first gifts I ever bought Goriana on one of our dates was, uh, a shirt from Planet Blue. And so if she was kind enough just to let us um, put some things in there in consignment. And Lisa Klein, we'd met actually modeling for her. We did a fashion show uh, for her. We did a fashion show for her. And uh, oh, she was cool. from Syracuse. She went to Syracuse University. I'm from Syracuse. And so we hit it off. And I, same thing. I just called her up and said, hey, look, like I know we're not, we're doing this modeling thing, but we got we just wanted to put some jewelry in on your store in consignment. And so calling stores uh, after that to be able to say, hey, look, we're selling in Planet Blue and Lisa Klein, these were just pioneers uh, of the specialty boutique boom. And uh, especially Lisa. I mean, Lisa was on Robertson. It was huge. And so that opened a lot of doors. Yeah. Because people were like, oh my gosh, they're in Planet Blue and, you know, they're in Lisa Klein. And and that was it. It's happening. Things are happening. (laughs) We're taking off in LA. It's all happening. Yeah. Yeah. So who were your partners? Where? Once you establish these big retail partners, well, to be frank, you had those, to ramp up the the production. Well, those partners didn't actually move that much volume. That really? was the funny thing. Yeah, they actually they really helped us get into these other boutiques that actually moved a lot more and ran better businesses. Frankly, yeah. Um, so it was a lot of 
boutiques. Yes. We were in a ton of boutiques. And it was great because we got to work with a lot of just people starting out their own businesses at the time. Um, a lot of family run, a lot of sister, you know, sisters and uh, we would me and, and mothers and daughters and husbands and wives and just people that were kind of doing something similar we were at the time. So we built a lot of relationships from that. And, and as cliche as it sounds, we really focused on being great partners and didn't look at it as if, hey, we're just selling you a product because that was a mistake early on. You think you're just selling a product and then that's it. And then you're going to call back up and then. And they're going to order more of it. And it's not. You got to be a good partner. You got yeah, to we wanted the, product. the feedback. We would return things if it didn't work. Um, you know, we had no questions asked, customer care policies, which we still have today, lifetime guarantee. Um, and so we were just good partners. I think that was a lot of it. And um, we had some really great support from some fantastic people that were passionate and that would meet us and carry that passion through to the customer when they were selling the product, we'd see them and then they'd come back at the next trade show and say, Oh my gosh, you know, we sold these earrings and we told everyone about your story and how you guys are. And and that was, we were just so grateful and fortunate to have a lot of those people along the way. Very cool. So you guys were very hands-on. You had, it was, I'm sure just an important part of it is building those relationships with those retailers early on. At what point did you kind of say, you know, we need a sales team or somebody to be going around yeah. to these stores? That's not us. We need to build a team. Who were some of those early hires and how did you kind of, I guess, scale after kind of just selling in two stores or having that awareness well, the, in a couple of stores? The first person we actually had help us uh, was uh, a woman named Linda. She actually still to this day has just recently, I think she stopped, but she even 15 years from now later had been helping us make to make some of the jewelry because we were hand making everything at the time. So like that was a really, really, really big process because we'd go and get orders and then we'd go home and we'd tell the family like, hey, come over for Thanksgiving and instead of turkey, there's no table, but just go ahead and just make some of these earrings. And so that <laughs> yeah, was- photos of my brother-in-law, my sister. Yeah, everybody. Mom, everyone so making jewelry. Linda was amazing. I actually met her sister at the, uh, you know, uh, she owned a dry cleaning business and I met her. And and so that was that. Was that and that was important. Um, we had another early hire that was named, his name was Anthony and he helped us with a lot of our graphic design and our photography. Someone we still keep in touch with. He's got his own business now in Southern California. I'm um, called J.L. Lawson. Awesome guy. Um, and then our first employee, um, Caitlin, I mean, that was just to that point. We, we were just like, okay, we're, we're busting at the seams. And I remember hiring her and meeting her. And she was like, well, what do I do? And I'm like, you just do whatever we don't have time to do. <laughs> like, we're doing 14 <laughs> people's jobs where, you know, you're working seven days a week. You're, you're putting 80 to 100 hours in. Um, and she just was a, she was an awesome person because she was trustworthy. And she actually had worked at a boutique uh, in Vermont called Echo and we became friends just from selling to the boutique and she was moving out to California and so that was our first hire and uh, and I think that was in 2006 kind of around the time we were moving in off the apartment floor so yeah everyone just did what they could to pitch in I mean yep. it was, you know you're in a small office and it's like just get it done yeah early on we definitely felt it was more important to have help be on the back end of things versus the front end um, to maintain those relationships on the front side uh, Goriana continued um, to do a lot of the trade shows and the, and the front-facing relationship building. And then uh, we were fortunate. One of the other big hires that came in around that time was we, we were like, okay, how do we clone ourselves? Well, Coriana, we got we hired her sister, and she <laughs> looked a lot alike. And so uh, that was a great hire for us because it was like another mini Coriana kind of running around and, and helping us. So Perfect. Is that Iva? Eva. 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 Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 She's now her. gone on to you have her own business. You do look alike. <laughs> yeah. And she's gone on to have her own business now, too. Yeah. So. I'll be darned. Yeah. Um, so now, fast forward, you've gone from, I don't know, three employees to what, 100, 200? Uh, we're just approaching 200. I thought so. Yeah. yeah. 15 years later. Yep. Talk about the different 
the changing landscape. So back then it was you were relying on trade shows, retail partners. It's just a different focus. You know what's funny? Even actually you just asking that question about how we started. I think I have to really admit that the workforce today when they don't have that work ethic it really makes me nuts like I really cannot handle it because I think we started and even having Caitlin our first employee and just saying like get it done and doing with no strings attached kind of I feel like there's a lot of that circulating right now and it's really difficult like it really is a difficult it's a totally different mentality from when we started and I know it's 15 years ago and we're sort of, you know, aging up and, but it's really, it's so, so different when you're hiring people. You have to really, really be careful that they understand what the company culture is and it's not what's prevalent, what's out there right now. Yeah. I feel like you guys are a unique beast, like no fundraising. What, tell me about what your approach to fundraising has been thus far. Yeah. I mean, listen, we've been approached by a lot of, um, you know, institutional funding and we've looked at some of those things, um, and there's been times where you want to take that plunge um, because you're stressed out. I mean, cash flow is obviously a really hard thing. And people are always like, are you profitable? And I just said, like, well, how do you think we've been in business for 15 years, right? It's like all we really know, even if you think early on in 2008 when we were three or four years into the business and the economy collapsed, we thought, okay, maybe we're going to go out of business. And we kind of we grew actually in 2009, 2010. It's all we've really ever known um, is to run a profitable business. We, you know, We've had some harder years than others, but we've been able to um, – get endure through uh, good banking relationships. We have had um, some small kind of angel friends and family investors that have helped us along the way and been mentors to us. And so, uh, yeah, there's times when you want to cave in because you're like, oh my gosh, I just need someone to come save me. But I think we've always been disciplined to go back and say, well, let's fix this business. And um, it's just hard. You know, we really want to make sure that at any point we involve someone that they're aligned with what we're doing. And then I think sometimes people want you to um, grow a certain way. Some people we talk to, they, they're like, oh, you know, I'm like, do you like retail? Well, yeah, we like it. It's experiential. Well, no, retail is real. It's a real business for us and a profitable stores. Um, but we're also fearful at the same time too. We want to make sure that we don't get an investor that says, hey, we just want you to open mass retail and just put stores everywhere with, with no real purpose. So, um, so yeah, we've, we've, we've maintained it. And we're not saying no, never to that. It's just yep. a matter of um, we don't want the culture to ever be interrupted we want to maintain a very family-oriented culture. And if you look at major fashion brands throughout the world that you know that are that are these multi-billion-dollar companies, they're family, they're family businesses. Yeah, that's how they started, and that's how they're still run. So, um, which is interesting because you don't normally think of that with jewelry per se, but um, I think we do have a lot of those makings of the way the business is run. Absolutely. So consistent growth. There was a couple of hiccups along the way. 2008 retail partners closing. Has that yeah. been kind of an obstacle? What's what no, have been the biggest so challenges? That actually worked in our favor, to be honest, because yeah. I think in, when people couldn't afford to buy, you know, a ton of new clothing because or let's say you buy a shirt, you can't wear the same shirt every day. Right. Yeah. So I think it ended up really working for us because everyone's turned to jewelry and said, okay, I want to invest in a necklace or a pair of earrings and I can wear them every day. Yeah. I can wear them every yeah. day and mix them match and layer them. And so that actually wasn't a downturn for us, which seems kind of crazy because it was for a lot of people, but 
That was pretty cool, actually, to see. Yeah, and we had, listen, before the economy collapsed in 2008, we had what I call denim envy, premium denim envy. You know, you have someone come in your show booth <laughs> and like they read a $3,000 order and they're writing $30,000 of denim orders. And yeah. you watch the rise of all these denim companies, True Religion and Rock and Republic and Seven for Mankind. Um, so but then we also watched yeah. so many of them kind of fall down, too, and struggle. Um and uh, and so I think to Grant's point, we were that envy definitely dissipated pretty quickly because it was like, wow, okay, this might not be as glamorous. We might not have all these home runs and these huge hits, um, but we're still we're still cranking along and we're still growing. Definitely. At what point did you hook up with a major retail partner, um, a Nordstrom, a department store? Yeah, Nordstrom was two thousand and fourteen. Were they first? Yeah. yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And what was your experience there? Are you still there? Yeah. 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 It's, it's been, been great. great. Yeah. Yeah. Nordstrom has been fantastic. And the thing is interesting, prior to 2014, we weren't really looking for a major partnership. We were growing more focused online and the specialty boutique business. We were had heard um, brands struggle with dealing uh, with large department stores. We really weren't infrastructure to handle it. But then by 14, we were like, okay, listen, let's really focus this in. Um, and we went out, we reached out to them. They had no one really in our category. I mean, we're kind of the pioneers of the category. Um, that you see so many people getting into now of gold, um, you know, delicate layer layering jewelry. And so we launched our website that same year, like a fresh website that was really not e-commerce focused. It was brand focused. And just the top of it just said live, love, layer. And, you know, I'd meet these people and I'd say, well, this is not e-com friendly. It's like, well, it's okay. It's just live, love, layer. And we're all about living and loving and layering. And so Nordstrom was awesome. They let us pick our first 25 stores which I was uh, really excited to do. That's and then cool. we did really well. And then uh, they said, okay, pick another 25. And then probably about a year later, we rolled out into all 120. That was in the spring of 2016. And yeah, we're, we're still, um, or spring, spring of 15, I should say. We were in all 120. And so that's five years later, we're still all in 120 stores. Very yeah, cool. you know, I think in the beginning, the aesthetic of our product was not, you know, department stores was, they very much went for like the big and statement. And, yeah. you know, I got to see it from like how across the department store to like walk over to it. And so I think that's one of the lessons too, is that we knew the timing wasn't right. And it's just waiting and being patient for that to kind of align. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's been such a success as it has. And they've been a successful partner for us is because we waited for it. And yes. we both parties, you know, I mean, we had been on their radar and they obviously had been on ours, but I think waiting for the right time was pretty crucial. Yes. Are they your largest wholesale partner? Yes. 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 Makes sense. Tell me about this category. When you said a lot of the <laughs> other brands have launched some maybe competition, more competition, maybe some copycats. What is the price point and um, how have you responded to the new competition, I guess? Well, you know, I said it uh, just yesterday, actually. It's funny because people ask all the time and uh, about the competition. And like, there's so many people in this category now. And I'm like, no, there's not any more than there was. You're just seeing them all now on Instagram. True. That we used to walk around <laughs> trade shows like it was the same situation. You'd walk around Pier 94 at Coterie or Accessory Circuit here in New York. And there was just brand after brand after brand after brand doing the same thing in a 10 by 10 booth. So now the only difference is they're just uh, – they're acting a little bit more like a business, I guess. They have a website and they they post a bunch of pictures on Instagram and pay people, influencers, to wear their product. It's not really much different and there's so much that goes into it. That's just selling a product. That's just uh, converting a transaction. Yeah. That's not building a brand. So building a brand is a whole other beast. It takes a whole other set of plans and time and energy. And so I don't really, for us, I, 
it's it's not really something we concern ourselves with. We don't really look at what other people are doing. If people are copying us, which they do all the time, that's fine. That's flattering. We're on to the next. We'll be ahead. So we're not too concerned. Yeah. I also, my biggest thing is our product. Our actual product quality, I think, is unmatchable. And I will tell you, I have tested others that is not there. So yeah. <laughs> I feel pretty confident that in that aspect, you know, people yeah. do come back to us for that reason, that the jewelry lasts, we stand behind it, we have a happiness guarantee. So I think that really resonates with the customer. And How I have you maintained that quality from making it, it's hand just making our, it in your it, own kitchen? Yeah, <laughs> we're just on top of it. We have quality assurance teams. We make sure we constantly are testing the product that comes in from our manufacturers to make sure that they're keeping up with the quality. So we are, I mean, it is really, really a huge focus because we know that's like the number one thing. And we I own want, our mistakes too. If we, yeah. if we make something and it doesn't work or it's got a flaw, then we own it and we make sure the customer's taken care of and we fix it or we, if we can't fix it, we abort the product. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's just funny with a lot of these brands right now, you see a lot of this buzzword of sustainability. And I mean, I walked by a brand yesterday in Soho and they, they claim everything's made in the U S and I know it's not, or we see people say they do stones and it's colored glass. That's fine. But again, that's just going to get a transaction. Ultimately, I don't think a customer is going to build a long, you know, decade plus relationship, uh, lasting with a brand when that's what you're putting out. So good for them. I guess more people that do that, the better it'll be. For yeah, us. and people say, "Oh, they they're copying you." It's I'm like, yeah, it's a lower price one. It's going to turn your finger green. Go for it. <laughs> they're there, but they're liars. <laughs> they said that they're liars. It's just the the quality is just not there. And so I think for us, we feel comfortable. And I think with yeah. that aspect, I'm and like, I, I feel good. And the other side of that, there are a lot of small independent brands out there. Again, jewelry is a very easy. It's got low barrier market entry. That's how we started. Um, there's a lot of other small. Uh, smaller brands starting out there that want to maybe have that path of growing a company, that's awesome. We want to be supportive of those brands and those designers because um, I think there's enough room for everyone. And so um, hopefully we can inspire people that want to do that and and they have something to follow. So, you know, I don't think it's just about copycats. I mean, I think there's some other people that put out some amazing things in the jewelry market and just being respectful of them as well. Totally. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You talked about the brands emerging on Instagram. To what extent are you guys relying on Instagram? <laughs> oh, I just said on the way down here, I was like <laughs> looking at an Instagram post and I said, I said, the apocalypse is upon us. I'm on time and I actually give a fuck about Instagram. There's something wrong. <laughs> I mean, look, I debate it all the time. Instagram, Instagram, you know, it's like you see there's brands that are huge, you guys, huge billion dollar brands and they don't have that many people following them on Instagram. And there's other people who have just massive Instagram followings. And they're on the verge of bankruptcy or not making money. or don't have a lot of high in sales. So it doesn't necessarily, there's not a necessary natural equation that Instagram means success. Although we want to live right now in a society where we think it does. Um, there's massive influencers that have had product tested around them. that can't convert product. Um, but with all that said, it still does matter. People look at it. Um, you've got to be conscious of what you're putting out there. No different than what you're conscious of what you're putting in your window at your store or what you're putting on the homepage of your website or what you're putting in your email um, because people look at it. So Yeah, it's a touch point. I feel a like touch it's point from everyone's, it's like a daily news feed, basically. It's a visual news feed. You yep. go through it and everyone goes through it and they scroll and you see. And, you know, I think for us, it's just putting the right amount of priority on it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, we, just, and we've been around long enough to know that like this is not this there's to be something next right is it tiktok what's going wait i mean we started in my it was myspace then it was facebook now it's instagram it'll be something else it's just what it is twitter it's just the way the evolution of of uh you know 
of, of kind of the adoption of social media. Nothing lasts. Ultimately, eventually advertisements take over and uh, it becomes inauthentic and something else comes along. Have you dabbled in TikTok yet? No. I don't even know what that is. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I just dancing. see people dancing. And yeah, I, I, my, our, da- our nine-year-old daughter has a dance that our niece taught her. So I think that's about <laughs> my <laughs> reference of TikTok well, at this cute. point. Would you say, like, what percentage of your marketing spend would you say is going to Instagram? I noticed on your website there's a, a tab or a click for a catalog. Are you doing print catalogs? What else yeah. are you doing? Yeah. It's a combination of everything, yeah. really. Um, I mean, we're pretty disciplined and not getting um, too far into one area right so we have kind of caps where we'll say let's not get overly uh concentrated in instagram actually last month in january we spent more money in google than we did instagram so um you know youtube is still huge even google um uh, display network is getting big and then obviously youtube is becoming um, not just place people watch videos but where searches are happening and so um but it's a combination of everything we still feel like as a a customer um likes to touch and feel in a print catalog and uh, for certain yep. customers, because it interrupts. I know for me as a customer, when I get it, it kind of stops me and it may look at it on a plane or interrupts all that other digital noise going on. So we don't yeah. feel like it's Catalogs one thing. Catalogs are now a calming. Yeah, yes, yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I agree with this. <laughs> I also, I noticed on Google, uh, you mentioned, how important is that? I Googled you um, and Goriana, all of your product came out. Because I was, you know, I was looking to see what yeah. your wholesale partner, what you're, who, where you're selling? How important is that? That it's all driving to your site. I see a necklace, Goriana, necklace, Goriana, in that shopping, I guess, scroll. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because when you start when you start out wholesale, and you have these partners like Nordstrom or we're on Revolve is a big partner of ours or ShopUp, um, you know they're driving digital traffic, especially like the ShopUps and the and the Revolves of the world because they're that's all they are is websites. Um, and so it is interesting when you're starting out and then you're focusing on your own direct-to-consumer business and your website and your stores, you know, it's, you know, how do you, you don't necessarily want to be competing with them. Um, but again, they're just filling categories and transactions and we want someone if they're looking for the brand to make sure that they're finding us, um, so that we can make sure that we're telling that story correctly with the product, the product description and the brand narrative around it all. We yeah. also have a unique assortment of product too that no one else carries. Nice. So, you know, because the thing now with having our own stores and the website, we get to test product, which is great. Nice. You're testing it in store? Yeah, we'll test it on our website or in store. And then based on that, we can then roll it out to wholesalers saying like, okay, you know, we're having really finding a lot of success here. So great. that's been awesome too. Yeah. Talk about your e- e-commerce site, the growth so far. I know you're, it's ramping up. When when did it launch? Oh, geez. We, well, we've had e-commerce all yeah. along. In fact, in, you know, I always joke around in 2006, right? So that's 14 years ago. We were the first brand in the fashion industry. We launched a wholesale e-commerce, e-commerce website site. with a passcode protected section that like now you see a lot of these companies and platforms raise money on like New Order and some of these others. And so we was this custom yeah. guy and I coded it together and kind of, and so it, uh, but yeah, we used to had, go to trade shows and we'd say, okay, well, we can't be at a trade show every month. And so let's give our boutique something, a place they could go to and place orders yep. and make it yeah. easy for them. So we kind of got early down that rabbit hole. Cause then we had had this, um, this beautiful flash website that had HTML checkout and then this e-commerce wholesale website that connected it was HTML with a dynamic backend, um, but then I think as platforms came out, right, uh, Magento was something we were on first, and now we're on Shopify, but um, it made it a lot easier. And um, so, again, we want to have a focus on it, but we don't want it just to be transactions. I still think websites need to be a place that you're telling a brand story. 
Absolutely. For sure. We have to dig into your stores. You guys are opening a lot. Yes. <laughs> How many are we talking here? How many are we up to? Wow. Well, we're, we opened our first store was in 2016, which was in Laguna Beach where yep. we're based. Um, and by Mother's Day, we'll have 18. Yep. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. Yeah. We have uh, clusters in LA, clusters in New York. Yeah. Where else are you opening? Uh, we're in uh, La Jolla. We're in Laguna. We're in Newport Beach. We're in Irvine, Century City, Malibu, um, Pasadena, Glendale area, Venice, uh, Long Beach. We just opened. We just opened um, San Francisco last year. Scottsdale just opened Walnut Creek. Um, we've got more Northern Cal coming, and then here in New York, we've got West Village. Nolita just opened Brooklyn last week. <laughs> he's good. Yeah, he's yeah. good. I can't remember those. <laughs> I think about it a lot, obviously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, and I read they're all profitable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing because I hear a lot before yeah. you even open a store. We're not going to open a store till we get fun. Like, that's the fundraising. Like, yeah. When yeah. I mean, they're the, very costly the to open, yeah. you know, and so you, you, they're investments, but they're all profitable and um, they're doing awesome. Great. And it's been so great for us. I mean, I think, you know, in the early days when we did the trade shows, for us to go in, to be there, and even for me to personally get that feedback from buyers, right? You're at a show, and they're like, oh, I like this, but, oh, if it was only two inches longer. You know, that really helped make products that people, like, wanted, right? And so I think now having that store, the stores is so key for feedback. Because yeah. I said with e-commerce, you don't know why people click on or off or not. You just know that they do. Yep. But in store, it's a lot more feedback. They can say, oh, you know, I love this, but I'd love it if it was like this. Or what can you make more of these? Or I want this in a different size or something. And so that's been so huge and so great. What's been your approach? Do you do events? Is it important to provide an experience? Yes. Is it- All of it. Yes. All of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I yes. there's, like, there's like 100 things you think you got to think of when you do retail, right? And then you get in and you're like, oh, it's actually 200. Like, yeah. There's so there's many so things much. you got to do, right? And we... We're smart, I think, in that in that when we started, we just did Laguna. It was just in our backyard. We figured, okay, like if this doesn't work, at least this is a branded experience. It's a mile from our house. It's a mile from our office. Um, we can handhold it through it all, get all the kinks ironed out. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's everything has got to be right. You got to look at the build out. You got to make sure that the products merchandise correctly. Um, you know, the, I think the hardest thing in in retail is is, is HR. It's people. Yeah. You're running a people oriented business and. Um, and that was, I think, uh, something again that was was probably the steepest learning curve. And um, how, but it, it's it's accomplishable. Um, it, and I think again, when we opened the second store, it was right here in the West Village, r- literally two hundred feet from an apartment we've had for twelve years. So it was a second home. It used to be a little nice. kids' Mark Jacobs store. We used to take our kids in there. And you know, next door where Lalabo was was a, a laundromat where we did la- <laughs> you know baby clothes laundry. So again, we were familiar with both. We weren't guessing, um, but. I think that allowed us to iron out some of those kinks and learn them close to home before we started to branch out. Totally yeah, sick. I think now it's aggregating the data, right? So now you have 15 stores, we're going to have 18. So now it's like, yeah. how do you basically get all that together and say, okay, like what, what is across the board? Does yeah. that mean hiring data folks in-house? Yeah, we did actually yep. just brought on someone last year uh, to to uh, be our director of business intelligence just to, just to pull data apart. And yeah, I think he, he, I just, he had a, we had a leadership meeting a couple weeks ago and he said three really important things to the group. He said, I think my goals are to first and foremost, get us all looking at the same information. I thought, wow, as simple as that is, that's true. We're all like, cause someone was like, well, look at this and this is selling this. And then he said the second was, um, to save time and energy for, from everyone pulling reports and, you know, and, and to not have people spending the time doing that. And then thirdly was to make sure that the data we're looking at gives us, um, 
you know, we're making actionable decisions off that data. So you can just pull data to pull data, but are you actually changing things and making decisions off yeah. of it? And I thought, wow, those are so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but to Gordon's point, there's all kinds of different shoppers. I mean, I met a woman recently at dinner and uh, we got chatting and we were sitting next to her and her husband and we talked about food for 20 minutes and then I introduced her to the kids in Goriana and she was like, Goriana the jeweler? And she jumped up, you know, and she's like, this is crazy. She was like, oh my God, and she's a super fan. You know, this is a 61-year-old um, empty nester um, whose kids are away and uh, at college. And so um, there's that, but then there's also the nine-year-old. You know, I was coaching my uh, daughter in flag football, all girls team who kicked ass, by the way, <laughs> and beat all the boys. And As I'm sitting in, do. yeah, they yes. crushed it. And then I was looking at one of the girls in the huddle and she's nine and she's wearing a grand necklace. And so I think there's just such a variety of how people shop. And even going back to the woman that's in her 60s, she spends a lot of money at the stores and told me the whole story about how she gets her hair done in Laguna, even though she lives by the Newport store and she just, it's her routine, but she doesn't, she unsubscribed from our email when we looked her up. She doesn't get our catalogs. She's not online. She's just interacting at the store at a very localized level. Interesting. And so, but then there's other people I think that are the opposite. They just want to shop online, even though they live right by a store, they don't really go in the store. They want to be online. Omni-channel. Yes. (laughs) I said it. I said it. (laughs) It's a dirty word. Omni. Get it out there. Speaking of that um, older, we'll say, woman, um, what do you know about customer loyalty? Like, Is your customer coming back time and time again? Yeah, for sure. And that's another great thing that you see in retail is uh, as these stores have opened, they're growing. So, for instance, in just last month in January, the same eight stores that were open this past month versus they were open a year ago in January grew 49% aggregately over eight stores over year over year. Nice. And that's a result of what you see is a, a direct linkage, not necessarily to more traffic into the store, um, but you see a much higher conversion rate. And that is then linked to the higher conversion rate is um, mainly linked to you're seeing a repeat converter come in. Nice. So they're not even worried. They're not coming in and saying, oh, well, what is this brand? I haven't heard of it. Nah, 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 nah. It's like they just are they're ready to buy something. Yeah, so. dropping new product all the time to keep it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's been alert. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the pressure. in the past 15 years, yes, we've gone from monthly deliveries <laughs> oh, to quarterly to whatever. Yeah. So now we're, I think we just landed last week at seven deliveries. As of last week, it changed again. <laughs> Check next week, yes. it'll be a new yeah. delivery day. You know, I think it's about for us now too, because we are pretty much going to be very much a D2C brand. So yes. I think understanding that shopping cycle and so really kind of reacting to it and, you know, bringing the customers the products when they want them. Yes. So when are gone, people looking for things yeah. new? Yeah. So yeah. you've gone from nearly 100% wholesale to what, where are we now? Um, we will this year be about 80% direct to consumer. Yeah. Amazing. And what's the goal? 100? Uh, no, not no. necessarily. No, no, no. no. We like the wholesale business yeah. still. And I, I think, again, we're go back to the very early thing you asked about the specialty boutiques. We have such a funness. In fact, I was just reading a report uh, yesterday from Coterie from the, the wholesale team was at the Coterie show here in New York. And they were talking about one of their accounts, Sassanova. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. I mean, that's an account that I remember calling on from our apartment floor. Yeah. that's still working with us here, you know, over 12 or 14 years later. And so that's powerful. And we want to continue. There's a lot of little great towns in America that have these amazing little shops that offer the customer in those, those cities or those towns the ability to shop that will never have a retail store. So we yeah. want to continue doing that. And again, going back to the the larger partners, they're great partners. I mean, Shop Pop has been, we worked with Shop Pop before they were owned by Amazon and they've been awesome. And Nordstrom has been awesome. Stitch Fix has been amazing, right? A San Francisco company. Oh yeah. Um, subscription yeah. model boomed. 
um, been great. So no, we don't. We don't. We I think that, and there, uh, there's going to be new ones out there that I think are going to come up. Yeah, and, I think the one thing that's evident is there's different consumer patterns, right? No yes. one's shopping the same way. No two people are shopping the same way. Yeah. So I think keeping that broad is probably the best idea. <laughs> is 18 stores where it's at more coming? Yeah, there's definitely more. There's definitely more coming. We just, yeah, no, yeah. There, yeah. There's, it's weird. It's like you have all these um, kind of, you know, you've all these poles in the water, and then all of a sudden it just kind of takes off. So even like with the, the five that are rolling out, right? I mean, we're opening five in the next three, like in this three-month period. Um, you can't always time these projects because a lot of it is you have to be looking at things, and then you might not see anything you like, and then all of a sudden you see five things right at the same time that you like or – um, there's new new projects going on that you want to be a part of. And so, um, but we've been disciplined. And I think we've gone from calling people and I'd call people and they'd say, who are you? I'm like, can we open a store? Like, who are you? Now we're getting a lot of obviously people offering projects to us. So we're just being disciplined and doing ones that we really like. Well, I think also we have the learnings now. We know what works and we know what we need to succeed. You know, so I think that makes it, the timing, yes, has to work out there too, you know? Totally. Can you, you have to wait for the right space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it must be profitable. You're on a roll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So 15 years in, yeah. tell me a little bit about, I mean, we don't want to say, oh, we're, we're so amazing. Like, it's been hard. What would you tell other brands? New brands. Launching y- brands. Yeah. You know, listen, I think it's be humble. Be patient, right? The patience is definitely not a thing of virtue of ours, but, but you have to be patient. Things take time. You People come at us and they say, congratulations, you guys blew up. It's like, no, we didn't blow up. We've been doing this for 15 years. So you have to put a lot of hard work in. It's really fucking hard. Um, be adaptable. Be adaptable. Yeah, I mean, we look all the time. Our three operating values are, are you know, to be, um, to be passionate. You've got to have passion in what you do. Um, you've got to be adaptable. And you have to be trusting. We've had to have so much tr- blind faith trust in the fact that this is going to work and trust in each other and trust in ourselves. Um, you've got to be naive. I always say have a highly developed capacity for self-delusion. You have to be a little delusional. <laughs> um, but most importantly, again, is just put the time in and realize it's going to be hard, but don't give up on your dream. And don't just go raise money to raise money and let it be someone else's dream because you think it's a quick fix and you're going to blow up. This is not Shark Tank. you got to be patient. <laughs> and I think anything worth anything in life takes time to put into it. Right? Yeah, Nothing. try and run a profitable business. Run a profitable business. Yes. Yeah. And you want longevity. You're not stopping and celebrating, but despite being a multi-million dollar company, uh, right. you are, like you said, you you don't haven't had your made it moment yet. What's, yeah. what's the made it moment? It yeah, never happens. Be humble. You know, that's yes. the thing. Is, is the made it moment is right now. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I think that sounds so cliche again, but it's, it's like everyone's chasing something for the future. They're chasing some sort of form of happiness or some sort of end point. Just be happy. Enjoy and the ride. Enjoy the ride and be happy in the now. I'm not, people always say, you're going to sell your business, sell, sell my business, sell our lives. This is our lives. This is what we do. This is our, this is, this is what we're, we're engulfed in it. All chips in the middle, all times. And that makes it fun. And don't get too attached to it because it can't get taken away. <laughs> so I know this is how that is. Go all in and don't get too attached. Awesome. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah of course. appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.